Good evening. Good. How are you all doing tonight? Thank you all for coming. I hope you all have had a good week so far. Uh, let's bow and pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time of study tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for how good, how merciful you are to us. Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege as your people to gather together tonight and uh, just to fellowship with one another and um, in one another's presence to be able to encourage and lift up one another and um, uh, just pray together and express our needs and our dependence upon you. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy that are boundless. And Father, we are um, privileged to be able to come and to read and reflect on your word tonight. Father, bless this time, I pray, and may your spirit do his work in our hearts and minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last week, we started to walk through a short passage in Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 13 through 17. And last week we made it through the first couple of verses and we were focused on uh, in that passage of 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 13 to 17, focused on Paul's uh, thanksgiving wish for the Thessalonian believers. And then tonight we're going to move into verses 15 through 17, which focus on uh, the exhortation that Paul has for them and the prayer that Paul has for the Thessalonian believers and so I'm going to read through the passage again and then uh, just kind of start to walk through uh, the passage tonight. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And uh, last week we talked about one of the different readings for the word firstfruits. Uh, some of the different translations have there uh, from the beginning. And in fact, even the NIV here, which I have on the screen in the footnote at the bottom says, or possibly from the beginning. So uh, I tend to like that reading better, um, which the King James follows. And so it would be because God chose you from the beginning to be saved uh, to, through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And so Paul began the passage with just a thanksgiving in verses 13 and 14. And as a part of that thanksgiving, he is thankful to God for what God has done for these Thessalonian Christians. So it is, it is nothing that they can claim for themselves that they have done. Paul directs all of the praise and all of the thanksgiving to God who loved them and a love that is unearned unmerited. He chose them from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world. And at a point in time, he called them through the work of the spirit and through the ministry of the gospel. And so he says in verse 13, we thank God for you. He says, we have an obligation to thank God for you. 
we ought to thank God for you. And he refers to them as brothers and sisters because they're part of the same family of God, both loved by the same father. We've been loved by the Lord, loved without merit, loved because we didn't deserve it, but loved simply because God in his mercy chose to love. And because God also chose you from the beginning to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. And so God chooses to save. And then at a point in time in our lives, in history, he sends the word of God to us. And we're going to see even tonight that that word of God can come to us by various means. The word of God can come to us orally. We can hear it with our ears. It can come to us in written form. We can read it in the scriptures, read it, a gospel pamphlet or tract. The gospel can come to us by various means, but the word has to come to us. And then when the word comes to us also, God calls us through the spirit who effectually calls, awakens our hearts to see and believe that word of truth. He called you to this through our gospel. Paul says, we came and we preached the word of God. And that was a part of the means, the the way that God was calling you to himself was by sending us to you to preach the gospel. And then he says that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons why Paul is wanting to thank God for these Thessalonian believers and then exhort them and pray for them and encourage them is because of the larger context that we talked about a little bit last week. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Paul is just talking to the Thessalonian Christians and really trying to uh, calm their fears about news, rumors, reports that they had heard that somehow the day of the Lord had already happened. That the end time day of the Lord had already occurred and somehow they missed it. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. Don't be alarmed. Don't be, don't be drawn away by this false teaching for the day of the Lord cannot come until, and he gives some things that must transpire, such as the revealing of the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. And so this whole passage is about trying to reassure them that they are gods and that because they are gods and they belong to him, they're not gonna miss out on anything. They're not gonna miss out on anything because they believe they belong to God. They've believed in him. They've been called by him, chosen by him. God's not going to let them miss out on anything that he has planned in store for them. That's why I think he says, God loved you. He chose you. He called you through the word, through the spirit, so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying to them in this thanksgiving to God is a part of the purpose the very foundation, the very goal for which God saved you is to partake, to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God's not going to let you miss out on anything because this is why he saved you. To be redeemed, to be saved, to be called to heaven and to enjoy and benefit from the glory of Jesus Christ. You're not going to miss out on a thing because you belong to God. And then 
he's going to exhort them in verses in verse 15. And I love the way that Paul does this in this very short passage, and it really fits a pattern that he does in many of his letters. And that is, first, he reminds us what God has done. And then he gives us our response to that. Now, here's what we are called to do. So first he says, here's what God has done. God loved you. God chose you. God called you. Thanks be to God for what he has done for you. But then the logic of Paul's argument is not, okay, sit back, take it easy and relax. Because God has done this for you. That's not his logic at all. His logic in his argument is God has done all this for you, loved, called, chosen you. Therefore, stand firm. Therefore, hold tightly to the gospel. So rather than God's work for us, giving us an excuse to do nothing, rather God's work for us gives us the exhortation and the power to do what God calls us to do. John Stott puts it this way in his commentary. He says, he did not conclude that because God had chosen and called the Thessalonians and would establish them and bring them to glory, that he and they could sit back and do nothing. On the contrary, he had previously sent Timothy to establish them, 1 Thessalonians 3.2. And now he passes immediately from his confident thanksgiving first to an earnest exhortation to them to stand firm, and then to an equally earnest intercession that God will establish them. And so he moves from, here's what God has done. Now, therefore, here's what God has called you to do. And that is to stand firm and hold tightly. And so in verse 15, he says, so then, I mean, in light of this, in light of what God has done for you, family of God, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Now, this word stand can mean in a literal sense to stand in in a place and physically to stand and kind of brace yourself as if a, a strong wind or a force were going to try to push you. And so find your ground, establish your footing and stand firm the word can have that physical meaning to it. And from that comes the more figurative meaning of stand firm ideologically or in in what you believe, in your conviction, in what you hold to as the truth. And that's how Paul means it here. So based on what you have been taught, what you have heard, stand firm. Don't let all these other reports and news and different doctrines that are blowing around out there, don't let them move you. Don't let them blow you down. Stand firm in what you believe and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. Again, literally to hold with the hand, to grip tightly, but figuratively when talking about in this area of belief, It is to hold tightly with all of your conviction to what you have believed, to what you have been taught. Stand firm, hold tightly. And I love, again, in John Stott's commentary, he gives the imagery of a hurricane that is blowing and you have to hold your ground, 
hold on to the mast, if you will, if you're in a, a ship, grab hold of something and, and take your footing because a large wind is seeking to blow and knock you down. And the wind that Paul has in mind here that could potentially knock them down is false teaching. False teaching like people telling them the Lord Jesus has already come back. The day of the Lord has already happened. And Paul says, don't be alarmed by that. Don't let people blow you here and there by every wind of false doctrine, he says in another place. But stand firm, hold fast. Let me ask you a question. Has that exhortation really changed at all in the last 2,000 years? It really hasn't, has it? I mean, Paul is writing this to ancient Greeks, you know, 2,000 years ago, who lived in the city of Thessalonica, a Greek city. They were Christians. They had believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they were surrounded by all kinds of ologies and isms, right? All kinds of ologies and isms and worship of false gods in the Greek culture and the Roman culture, worship of many gods. And then all kinds of philosophies being thrown out there in the marketplace of ideas in these ancient Greek cities. It's no different than today. The main difference today is we have a whole lot uh, more means of rapidly spreading and disseminating information. I mean, in Paul's day, the only way to get the word out was verbally for you to be there and to hear it or through a letter, which is what he mentions in this verse, isn't it? Whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That's how news can, got out in the first century world and really for much of human history. But now in the 21st, 20th and 21st centuries, we have all kinds of ways of getting information around the world, don't we? We have not only hearing someone live speaking, we can watch someone on a video live around the world. Theoretically, I have no idea if they are, probably not. Theoretically, someone could be watching this in Russia right now. You can send an email and it's around the world in a fraction of a second. You can send a text message and it's to whoever you want to send it to in a second or two. And so that's a great blessing on the one hand, because we can easily communicate with people that we love. We can maintain contacts with people that are spread around the world. Uh, it's a great means for spreading truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But like anything, it can be taken and distorted by the devil, can it? And so things like the internet and email and cell phones and all this technology, it can be distorted and used for wrong. And so people are spreading all kinds of bad ologies and isms out there today. So just as much as the Thessalonians, if not more, we need these words of Paul to stand firm and to hold tightly because there are all kinds of winds seeking to blow us about. And they're subtle, aren't they? They're subtle. All kinds of false teaching has some truth in it. That is the hook to get you to listen. But there's always a little bit of poison in that false teaching. And so it's subtle. We have to be on our guard. We have to stand firm to hold tightly. And what are we to hold tightly to? 
He says the teachings that we passed on to you. Uh, the word there literally is traditions. Now, when we hear the word tradition, we think, uh, no, we're not, we're not holding on to traditions because the traditions are the, are the traditions of men. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. By tradition, what Paul has in mind is a body of truth that is handed down from one generation to the next. And this body of truth that is handed down from one person to the next or one generation to the next is nothing short of the gospel. The teachings that we passed on to you, probably meaning when Paul was there in his initial mission to the Thessalonian people, he taught them the very basics of the gospel. He and whoever his coworkers that were there with him in his missionary journeys, they, they came to Thessalonica and they taught them by mouth the truth of the gospel. And where did that gospel come from? Paul didn't invent it, did he? Paul did not invent the gospel. The gospel came to Paul from other apostles and from Christ himself. So what Paul is passing on to them is not his invention, it's Christ's. And what Paul is saying by referring to it as tradition, he is referring to this body of truth that Jesus passed on to his apostles and now the apostles are passing on to the churches and has been passed on from one century and generation to the next throughout church history. It's the gospel, it's the teachings of Christ and the New Testament. That is to what we are to hold on to and not be moved from. And he says, whether you hear it from my mouth or whether I write it in a letter, he says they bear the same authority. Whether I'm there in person teaching you or whether I send you a letter from a distance, like he's writing to them now in 2 Thessalonians, it bears the authority of Christ. Why? Because he is a representative of Christ, conveying to them the very word of God. So how do we stand firm and hold fast to the teachings. I think there is important for every Christian to have a little bit of skepticism. Anytime that you hear someone teach or preach truth, like theological truth, biblical truth, the word of God truth, and that, that little bit of skepticism is not unbiblical because the word of God says, test every spirit to see whether they are of God. So when you come across, and this includes me, when you listen to someone teach or preach the word of God, or you pick up a book from a bookshelf and you read that person, and whatever, whether you're listening to it, whether you're reading it, whether you're reading it on the internet, a little bit of skepticism that makes you stop and think, is this right? Is this really what the word of God teaches? Or is this a subtle distortion of the word of God? And that kind of discernment can't happen overnight. In fact, none of us ever arrive as Christians at a perfect level of discernment. Just like our sanctification in which we will never be completely loving or completely uh, merciful in this life. 
so also we will never be perfect at being able to discern and spot false teaching. But we continue to move toward that by studying, by meditating on Scripture, by faithfully reading Scripture, and holding on to tightly the basics, the core of the gospel. And so we have to grow in this so that we can stand firm and hold tightly. That's Paul's exhortation. And now to help them do that, he prays for them. He prays for them in verses 16 and 17. And specifically, he prays for them encouragement and strength. So he says in verse 16, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, And then the actual request is going to come in verse 17. But before we get to that encouragement and strengthening request, notice how he begins the request here in verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, who is Paul referring to when he says, who loved us? Is it Jesus or is it God the Father or do we have to make a choice? I don't think we have to make a choice because both the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father loved us, didn't they? And what's amazing here is the way, and Paul does this often, is the way that Paul just kind of casually, almost instinctively, joins together with a simple and, Jesus and God the Father. In fact, even here, Jesus is put first in the sentence. What's significant about that? Because Paul is about to use some verbs, some things that are done for us, and he says they're done for us And he's praying this request for us through Jesus and the Father. What does that say about the deity of Jesus of Nazareth? He's he's fully God, isn't he? He's fully God. And so sometimes when people say, show me verses, show me proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we'll go to verses that that very explicitly say that, like John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word who later became flesh was God. So we go to verses like that, but don't miss verses like this. That don't like come right out and say, Jesus is fully God, fully divine. But yet, the way that the biblical authors join together with this word and, and then give actions that the triune persons of the Godhead do for us, show just as clearly the full deity of Jesus Christ as the verses that say, Jesus is God. So, may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father join together in harmony as a part of the triune Godhead who loved us and by grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. 
So here's what God's grace has already done for us in giving us encouragement and a future hope. On the basis of that, that kind of reflects back to his original thanksgiving, doesn't it? Back to verses 13 and 14. Here's what God has already done for us. Now, on the basis of that, let me ask a further petition, a further request for you from God. And that is that he may encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I don't know about you, but in, in the times that we're living in right now in American culture, where Christianity has been, and now I think is even increasingly more becoming, becoming out of place in our culture and pushed to the edges and pushed to the margins. And Christianity is berated and maligned and mocked in much of popular media in our country. And the more that we see our culture turning against Christianity, becoming more openly hostile toward Christianity, it can become discouraging, can it? It can become discouraging. And Paul knows for these Thessalonian believers that that they've been enduring false reports, false news, false teaching about Christ. They know, Paul knows that that's discouraging. And so his prayer for them, a part of his prayer for them is, may God just encourage you. May he encourage you, comfort you, and strengthen you. And those two go together. In order to be strong and to stand firm and to hold tightly to that which we have been taught in the gospel, we need to be encouraged. We need to be exhorted. We need to be uh, prayed for. And that's what Paul's doing here. So may God encourage you. May he strengthen you to not lose heart in the midst of that fight. And may he strengthen you in every good deed and word. In other words, whatever your hand finds to do that is a good deed. May God encourage you and strengthen you in the doing of that. Whenever you have an opportunity to speak a good word of kindness or perhaps even speak the gospel to someone, may God encourage you and strengthen you in that. And so Paul prays for them, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And I love how a lot of times in Paul's letters, when he wants to encourage the people that he's writing to, he reminds them of what God has already done for them. And he points to the future of what God has promised and guaranteed that he will do for them. So basically what Paul does often is people who are going through suffering, people who are going through difficult times, maybe persecution, opposition. He takes their present situation and he puts bookends on it. He puts bookends on it. He reminds them of what God has done for them already, stretching back to eternity past. And then he reminds them of what God has promised he will do for them in the future, which stretches to eternity future. And so if basically what Paul is doing is keep your peripheral vision. Keep your eternal peripheral vision. Because sometimes we get tunnel vision, don't we? We get tunnel vision and we focus on this one thing, this 
tragedy, this trial, this persecution, this sadness, whatever it is. And Paul is saying, you know, you got to keep your peripheral vision open. Eternity past, eternity future. And remember what God has done and what God will do. And in that, I pray that God will strengthen you and encourage you for the present time to stand firm, to hold tightly to the word of God. And that's my prayer for you, for us as believers, that in uncertain times like we live in right now, I can't tell you what tomorrow holds. I can't tell you what the first Tuesday in November holds. I can't tell you what 2021 holds. Nobody can except God, and he has not yet revealed it to us. So all he has asked us to do in the moment is to stand firm, to hold tightly, to continue to live by faith in the midst of this world that God has placed us in. As Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, Father, don't take them out of the world. They're going to still be in the world, but I pray that they would not be of it. May they continue to be salt and light in the midst of this world. And I pray that we will. May God give us encouragement. May he give us strength to hold fast. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, our God, we thank you that you have given us encouraging words like these in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And Lord, it's, it's helpful to remember that there, there's always been the need for God's people to stand firmly on the foundation of the gospel. That was true in Paul's day. It remains true in our day. So, Father, we are in um, good company with the saints, our brothers and sisters of bygone ages, who are uh, witnesses, testimonies to the fact that the race can be run with perseverance, with steadfast faith. So, Father, may we heed the exhortation of Paul to stand firm and to hold tightly to the gospel tradition. And Lord, I pray that the prayer that that Paul prays for them would also apply to us and that you, the God of grace, would strengthen and encourage us. Lord, help us to be the salt and light that you've called us to be. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.